The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the dominion of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Today we heard the remar remarkable beginnings of the Exodus story. And what a beautiful story of resistant women, Shifra and Pua, who kick it all off. You know, as I read our text early this week, I mused, if only the women of this story could tell it for themselves, now that, that would be a good story. So then I thought, well, you could rewrite this text from their perspective. But then I checked myself because it would kind of defeat the purpose for me, a, a man, to rewrite these women's story for them. So luckily, at my Bible study on Wednesday morning, my fabulous colleague, Reverend Stacy Allen from Brent House Episcopal Campus Ministry at the University of Chicago, she said to me, you know, I think I had preached a sermon some time ago where I used the perspective of Pua. Let me see if I can dig that up for you. And surely she had. Back in 2014, she had rewrote this story from the perspective of Pua. And with Stacy's permission, I share her story with you today. There were always rumors coming from Pharaoh's palace, rumors of a Hebrew among his grandchildren, which proves the point that I've always made. People have always said they can tell the difference between a true Egyptian and one of the Hebrews. Something in the texture of the hair or the way they walk or a certain tone in their speech. Something that proved that they were untrustworthy, dangerous, not one of us. When I was attending their women in labor, however, there was no difference. The moans were just as guttural. Their legs trembled in the same way as they began to push. The heads of their babies were just as damp and misshapen as any of my own people. So it didn't surprise me in the least that one of their children could pass undetected in the Pharaoh's palace. They did have a slight strangeness about them though, those Hebrews, just not in their appearance, nor in their language. They had odd stories, tales of the time before they had come to live here. They told stories of a solitary God, 
one who had no consort, one who appeared to their patriarchs and made outlandish promises about a land far away and descendants as numerous as the stars. I can't remember a time when the Hebrews weren't our builders, our maids, our field hands. But when I was small, my grandmother would tell stories of their forefather, Joseph, the Pharaoh's vizier, who saved us all from famine, and of his brothers who came and settled here with him. But that was a long time ago, and the Hebrews made themselves at home. When I was younger, I had attended the births with my mother, but it wasn't until after my own children were grown that I began to be called on my own. It was a good living after my husband died. Shifra and I both lived right on the border between our people and the areas where the Hebrews lived. So between us, we attended nearly all of the Hebrew births. We had seen our share of blood, both the kind that accompanies new life and the kind that overflows to death. And we had climbed down from the roof or come in from the garden birthing tent with bad news to more than one father and husband sitting, somehow both tense and limp in his house. As busy as we were, it was hard to ignore the growing differences between the Hebrews and our own people. Even our poor managed to have a room for each family in their house and food to offer the laboring mother. But among the Hebrews, the lines of fatigue deepened around their eyes. In the quarters where they were more and more cramped in as they tried to find room for one or more family in a tiny dwelling. And they often had not much more than barley water to offer the exhausted mother. And more and more my neighbors would look at me suspiciously as I returned at dawn from a birth in the Hebrew quarter. More and more I would hear about those people. Fear was growing, and the old stories of Joseph evoked the specter of famine. But those stories reminded us that it was Joseph who imposed the one-fifth tax on all we produce. And in an odd human way, the story of his people turned from thankfulness to distrust and suspicion. There were whispers of plots and uprisings. How, I wondered, how were the Hebrews to plot against us when I saw their men day after day rising bleary-eyed and trudging toward their quarries or brickworks or their construction sites and returning feet dragging only to eat a meager supper and fall into bed. I was just returning from the birth of my cousin's granddaughter, the midday sun blazing to find Shifra waiting at my door. A messenger said, she has come to her house telling her that she and I had been summoned to the court. I was dubious. No one from the courts has ever walked down our street, much less spoken to any of us. Unless some plague killed more than the normal number of babies, no one paid much attention to Shifra and me. What we didn't even have, we didn't even have, what we didn't even have 
its own name. We were simply the aunties, consulted for fertility, pregnancy, and birth, not consulted for much else. So I changed out of my bloodstained garments, splashed water on my face, quickly ate some bread and dates, and Shifra and I made our way to the palace. When we reached the gate of the courts, the guard looked, us, looked at us disdainfully until we told him our names. His eyes widened and we were ushered in without another word. After being led through courtyards and down corridors, there he was, seated in a gilded chair, a gilded chair an expression of tedium on his face as he looked up from maps and diagrams scattered on the table in front of him. He motioned for the others to move away, leaving only one man standing attentively at his right shoulder. Ah, you've come, he said, impatiently motioning us to rise from our knees. You attend the births of Hebrews, he continued, a statement rather than a question. He paused for a moment. I need your help with this Hebrew problem. Our eyes still on the ground as was proper. We waited for him to continue. There are too many of them. They need to be controlled. When you attend their births, when you see the child is a boy, you will take care of him. If it is girl, leave them alone. Take care of them, I stammered, unable to keep from speaking, although it was strictly prohibited to speak out of turn to the Pharaoh. He sighed impatiently. Kill them, he said. Kill the boys. But I want you to make it look like a stillbirth. If the baby is already born when you get there, do nothing. No one is to know. I don't want riots. Shifra and I stood silent, unable to comprehend what we had just heard. You were to do what? Choke them? Break their necks? Smother them? The horror of it washed over me. I had already seen plenty of children die in that hazardous journey to birth. Even more amid the poverty of the Hebrews. How could I cause more? Pharaoh, being Pharaoh, expected no answer from us, merely obedience. He had already turned back to the building plans before him. Shifra and I walked slowly back, taking by silent agreement the longer route home. Through the Hebrew neighborhoods, some of the women, women whose children we had helped to birth, women whose lives we had saved, greeted us as we went. I knew they were not like us. That's what I'd always been taught. Yet I also knew the lie of it. These women were strong and tenacious, wanting what any mother wants for her children, a safe entry into the world, food, shelter, good work, and a chance to bear children of their own. Suddenly, I laughed. I turned to Shifra and said, if Pharaoh thinks that the problem of too many Hebrews is because of the men, he doesn't know women very well, does he? Shifra stared at me, confused for a moment. And then she too laughed. Here ends today's story, but 
Alas, it is only the beginning. Through these subversive, joyous, rebellious Shifra and Pua, this is who God begins to make a way out of no way with. And as we will continue to see in the coming weeks, it was these courageous women of resistance that set in motion the Exodus. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank mm-hmm. you.